Canton, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Thursday, December 21st. Today, Sun reporters John Ingold and Michael Booth are talking about the latest in health and environment news, including drama around the cleanup of a uranium mine west of Denver. Before we begin, a quick message. Join the Colorado Sun on January 4th as the politics team looks at the 2024 legislative session and what we can expect to hear from legislative leaders. RSVP for free today at coloradosun.com slash events. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this date in 1979, Governor Richard Lamb celebrated the completion of the Eisenhower-Johnson Tunnel, a significant segment of Interstate 70 in the Rocky Mountains. Originally, the federal plans of the 1950s ended I-70 in Denver. However, influential governor and senator Edwin Johnson pushed for an extension and ultimately received backing from President Eisenhower. Despite environmental concerns and engineering challenges, the project forged ahead, embodying Colorado's pioneering spirit. The twin tunnels piercing the Continental Divide were completed in the 1970s and named after Eisenhower and Johnson. This monumental $250 million project, the costliest in U.S. highway history at the time, permanently transformed Colorado. Before we continue, a quick thank you to our members who make it possible for the Colorado Sun to bring you your news about our beautiful, complex state. If you aren't yet a member, consider joining now to support local journalism and gain access to member newsletters. Start your membership today at coloradosun.com slash join. Next, our future story. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of our Daily Sun Up podcast. I'm John Ingold. I'm the healthcare reporter here at The Sun. And joining me, uh, as always, as we do on Thursdays, is my colleague Michael Booth, who covers health and or covers climate and the environment. So, hey, Mike. And the NBA, John. Let's not forget that we're covering the Detroit Pistons 24-game losing streak, as we did in the temperature, and we'll follow it Thursday night as they go for the 25th loss in a row. You did uh, You did incorporate that in a, a masterful intro into our temperature newsletter, which, of course, if, if you want to get, you can sign up to become a, a newsletter plus member at the, the Colorado Sun, um, coloradosun.com slash join. I, I don't want to overpromise, though, Mike, we don't usually cover the NBA as well. No, and the Pistons are not usually on TV either, so I don't know how people <laughs> will just have to keep refreshing their... ESPN button online. Well, as long as we're also making pitches here, I want to tell folks, um, I'm sure you've heard, but the Colorado Sun is uh, becoming a nonprofit and we now have the capacity to accept donations, tax deductible donations. So if you are uh, looking for a way to have some impact here this holiday season and you want to uh, use that to support local journalism, you can go to coloradosun.com slash donate to make your donation. And thank you to everybody who has done that already. So Mike, uh, let's get to the news here. You uh, had a story this week that, as for me, as someone who lives in the Denver metro area, was terrifying because I did not know that there was a uranium mine that was potentially leaking radioactive waste into the water supply of Denver and Arvada. So maybe you could talk about what's going on there. Yeah, even the, some of the some of those of us who cover this stuff all pretty much full time are still surprised by those. Wait, what kind of moments? And one of these is about uranium, just seven miles up river, up the creek, Ralston Creek, from Ralston Reservoir, which a lot of people listening have been to. 
or at least been around and seen from a distance. There is a shuttered uranium mine, and it's called the Schwarzwalder mine. It was working and producing uranium up until 2000, and since then has been under state order to do a cleanup and remediation under the Mine Land Reclamation Division. And that had been going along, even though most people didn't know about it, but one of the key things that they were doing was taking water, which builds up in a pool in this underground mine and on, on the surface, and before it has a chance to spill over and leak radiation and a lot of other tainted materials into Ralston Creek and then into Ralston Reservoir, which is a key water supply for both Denver Water and Aurora, they were supposed to clean it up. And they had a water treatment plant going there, and it has been working. We should let people know that ahead of time. The water plant treatment has been working all along, hasn't stopped, and will continue again. It picks up in May with runoff and continues through October each year. But the company that's been doing that called Colorado Legacy Land, which had taken over from the old mining corporation, has decided to walk away from the project. Uh, apparently the costs are too much. They haven't really explained what's going on, but financially they can't do it anymore. And the state has taken over. They've revoked the company's permit to do the cleanup and to operate it as a mine or even as a mine reclamation site. And so the state is now in charge. This company, I was confused about this. What exactly is their business model? How are they getting paid for doing this work? That is a good question. They are getting some money from another site, the Cotter Mill in uh, Canyon City, which neighbors there have been very upset about because that work has been on pause there as well. Uh, they're sometimes under state contracts, um, but it's that may be part of their problem is that it's hard to get paid to do just the cleanup part if you're not actually selling uranium. So what they had to do uh, to protect everybody financially was post a bond when they first took over from the company that had originally started the mine. And they posted a $7.3 million bond that is required under Colorado reclamation efforts. It says, if you do have to walk away, if the state ends up holding the strings, then at least there will be some money there to continue to clean up. State is now, in addition to revoking the license of this company, has taken over that bond. State says that there is enough money there to at least get them through cleanup for next year. And then they hope to have a better record of knowing how much it costs to run the treatment plant and other cleanup efforts for one year and how long that bond might last. If it turns out the bond is going to be depleted too quickly and it won't last to keep cleaning up the water, then they will have to go back to the company and they do say they have recourse to do that or seek other funds. It's possible they may invest the bond and hope that proceeds would be enough to cover at least some of the cleanup. So some financial questions left, but the state's main message is that for at least the next year, they've got it covered and there's enough of the bond money to keep it going. So that, that that's good because I was uh, reading your story. I was feeling maybe a little bit doubtful about how long that bond was going to be able to sustain the state. So good to know that they have uh, other options if that doesn't work out. And Denver and Aurora want to remind everybody that they do their own testing they're confident. They say that the state is doing the right thing in terms of keeping track of the cleanup at this company and at this mine. But if they don't for some reason and any water does leak out, then they have their own cleanup systems that takes it out of the water and that they've been in close touch with the state. And so they don't seem too worried about it. So we'll keep an eye on it. But for now, it was a bit of a scary headline and it's good to know, good to know, a reminder that there's uranium legacy so close to the metro area, just a few miles away but it seems all right for now.
John, um, speaking of health, on this week's The Temperature, you had talked about open enrollment for health insurance, and we had an update on how things are going. They didn't have the date, the numbers all the way up to the December 15th closure of the traditional open enrollment period, but they had some very encouraging early numbers. Yeah, absolutely. So just to be clear, December 15th is uh, not the end of open enrollment. If you're somebody who buys health insurance uh, on your own and you happen to have missed that date, uh, you're not out of luck for getting insurance. You can still buy insurance up until uh, January 15th, uh, but that insurance won't kick in until February 1st. If you had wanted a plan that started on uh, January 1st of 2024 of next year, just a couple weeks, week away now, um, then you would have needed to have signed up by December 15th. And so that ends up being kind of like the really big deadline milestone in open enrollment where you can see uh, uh, how well you did in terms of signups. And the state hasn't reported those numbers, but they had numbers from uh, just about a week earlier through the first five weeks of open enrollment, which opened on uh, November 1st. And uh, they had 184,000, people who selected a plan on Connect for Health Colorado, which is the state's uh, health insurance exchange. You can kind of think of it as like an Amazon marketplace for health insurance. And that was, uh, you know, for me as a healthcare reporter who covers these things, that was a really eye-popping number. In uh, 2021, there was only uh, 170 so thousand people who made a plan selection at all during all of open enrollment. So already ahead of 2021's numbers, um, not quite uh, up to last year's numbers yet. There are about 212,000 people who selected a plan uh, last year on Connect for Health, but certainly a really strong open enrollment period. Uh, the state says about 30% uh, ahead of where it was uh, last time, uh, last year at the same time. And so that really, uh, if you're if you're interested in seeing more people get covered, that that's a really good sign. And that last couple of weeks, there's often a big push and a surge. So those numbers could increase quite a bit and um, really pump up that record number. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we would, I would expect it to be um, getting up close to last year's numbers by the time they actually uh, report what they've, what they've had through that December 15th deadline. Um, and again, this is, uh, this is, really extraordinary. It's really important. Colorado, uh, as of the most recent survey, had uh, the lowest uh, uninsured rate that it's ever had uh, in, in, its, in its recorded history. So this would be um, the rate of people who don't have insurance and it's down to under 5%, which is really tremendous given that it was uh, well above 10%, above uh, you know 11%. Uh, uh, just a few years ago, just like a decade or so ago. And um, this also gives some nice reassurance that maybe that rate's going to stay lower. Uh, one reason that that uninsured rate ended up getting so low is because during the pandemic, during the worst of the pandemic, the federal government instituted a rule that said, hey, states, you can't disenroll anybody from Medicaid during the pandemic, during this public health emergency. And so that means that Colorado's Medicaid rolls, just like those in a lot of other states, really, really grew robustly. Um, and you had a lot of people who were on those rolls that that uh, obviously weren't dropping off. Then when the public health, the federal public health emergency ended, the state started doing eligibility redeterminations. 
and started disenrolling people. And there were estimates that uh, upwards of 300,000 people could end up in that process, end up losing access to Medicaid coverage. And so they would need to go out and get new insurance elsewhere. Now, the thinking is that the, the, the uninsured rate that I just spoke about, it comes from a survey that ran from earlier this year through the summer. And the thinking is that that mostly reflects the state's uninsured rate before these Medicaid eligibility redeterminations started happening. So the, the fear is that you're going to see the state kick a lot of people off Medicaid. And if they don't go on to get insured, then the state's going to see its uninsured rate rise again. And so seeing so many people signing up on Connect for Health is maybe one sign that potentially uh, people are, if they're losing access to Medicaid, they are ending up being able to find new coverage options. And your piece was a good reminder that obviously the whole point of the exchange is that's where people need to go if they're going to get subsidies for their insurance. And the subsidies can be very high. You can get 70, 80, 90% of your premium paid through the advanced premium tax credit. And the overall policy goal originally was that you'd have people, if they're sort of graduating from Medicaid, meaning they're starting to, they're getting good jobs or making enough money where they no longer qualify for Medicaid, then they, if they're on their own for insurance, they don't get through their employer, they can go on to the insurance exchange and use the subsidy as the next boost up and kind of climb up that ladder. Yeah, absolutely. And between the subsidies that have always existed, some of the enhanced subsidies that came in during the pandemic from the federal government that are still around. And now we have state-funded subsidies. Uh, people can potentially, depending on your income, if it's if it's low enough, you could qualify for plans that are literally just a few dollars a month. I mean, maybe like five, 10, 20 bucks a month. And then you also could potentially get financial support to help you pay those out-of-pocket costs, right? Because we all know the premium just gets you the insurance, then you have to pay the deductible as part of using the insurance. So uh, there are also subsidies available to help uh, lower-income people uh, afford those out-of-pocket costs. So the advice is always if you are staying out and, and not buying insurance because you think it's going to be too expensive for you, because you think you make too much money to qualify for subsidies, just go online, go to Google Connect for Health Colorado, connectforhealthco.com, and just put in some information and see if you qualify because you might be surprised. Great. Well, we'll follow up on the final numbers uh, sometime maybe in January on how things turned out overall, but some promising stuff. So thanks everybody for hanging in there with the podcast today and with the temperature this week. We look forward to bringing you more climate health news in the new year and hope that everybody has a safe, adventurous, and happy holiday season. Yeah, thank you, everybody. We'll, we'll see you in 2024. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. The Colorado GOP is threatening to try to withdraw from Colorado's Republican presidential primary in March if Donald Trump isn't on the ballot. The announcement brings fresh uncertainty to the fast-approaching contest and could set up a possible legal showdown with state election officials. The Colorado Supreme Court ruled Tuesday that Trump can't appear on the ballot because he engaged in an insurrection on January 6, 2021 at the U.S. Capitol and therefore is disqualified from holding office again. The decision will be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, but the January 5th deadline to set the ballot leaves little time for a resolution. Western Slope residents along a stretch of the Colorado River are one step closer to greater water security thanks to a historic deal signed Tuesday. 
the Colorado River Water Conservation District formalized a deal to buy long-sought water rights for the Shoshone power plant from Excel Energy. Now the district must secure $98.5 million in funding to make it final. The deal is a major step in a decades-long effort to ensure stable flows for water users and ecosystems below the power plant, from Glenwood Springs to the Utah border. Colorado officials have confirmed the first case of measles in the state in five years. The patient is an adolescent who traveled abroad to several countries, returning to Denver International Airport on December 13th, according to the state health department. It's the first confirmed measles case in a Colorado resident since January 2019. Health officials said they did not know whether the child was vaccinated. Measles is highly contagious for those who have not been vaccinated. Symptoms, including fever, cough, and runny nose, typically start one or two weeks after a person is exposed, though it could take three weeks. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. The Colorado Sun is nonpartisan and completely independent. We're always dedicated to telling the in-depth stories we need today more than ever. And the Sun is supported by readers and listeners like you. Right now, you can head to coloradosun.com and become a member, starting at $5 per month for a basic membership, and if you bump it up to $20 per month, you'll get access to our exclusive politics and outdoors newsletters. Thanks for starting your morning with us, and don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. Tomorrow.